are now tuned into the 585 report with Bishop and Atiana. And today we have Miss Natalie Shepherd, who is the Commissioner of Schools. Yes. Okay, I just want to make sure I get your title right. And we are going to talk about the current climate of the Rochester City School District. And we're moving on from our segment from small businesses. Bishop, how you doing today? It's Thursday. I'm here with two of my favorite people in the world. Um, since when I'm your favorite? <laughs> like, did that just happen? It's like MySpace. I got like the top four. <laughs> you know? I mean, I can take you out if you want me to. I'm cool with that. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I appreciate it, I suppose. And I just found out, and I sent you the message, that we have been friends on Facebook for five years. And I've known you for one year, really. And never talked to me. We never <laughs> talked. That's clear that. She never talked to me. She was my friend for five years. That's crazy. Wow, wow. That's social media for you. Now I got a question <laughs> if she's really my friend. Don't, don't. Everything's a question at this point. Don't Everything. Do, don't do that. Alright, so if you are just listening to the 585 Report, every week we are highlighting good things that happen in Rochester. We are tired of the negativity, so we're going to bring a positive spotlight on our education system with our series. And we're going to do that by first kicking it off with Ms. Natalie. So, you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I guess the, the short story um, is, <laughs> it is, you know, it started on a cold winter's night, November 20th, 1986, that's when I was born, um, but um, from there, I guess I started my career really in social work and juvenile justice, and from that point, I was really an advocate on the outside of the system, thinking I was just going to beat the system from the outside. Um, and when I started to learn how to navigate through it with, with my kids, that's then how I got on the inside into politics. Never thought I would be here, um, but I do think it's a call and I'm here. And so I'm trying to see what we can do now that we've got an inside seat. Okay. I think I was the same way. I was from the outside looking in as well until I started in this position that I am in at RIT. And then I'm actually in the schools and now I want to be, I want to have a seat at the table just like you. So that's where I'm at. So what is your experience with public education? Ooh, so you're bringing me back um, and re-traumatizing me because I just ran. Um, I've been on the board for a little over a year, and when I ran, you know, that was actually one of um, one of the major criticisms for me. Um, the two criticisms were one that I went to Catholic school growing up, K through 12. Um, so I went to Sacred Heart Cathedral for K through 8, and then I went to Bishop Kearney High School for 9 through 12. And my daughter is also not in the public schools; um, she is in private schools as well. But my experience has been, again, through my job. Um, I started off working with kids um, who have been in touch with the juvenile justice system. I'm back there now. Um, that went to me working at BOCES as an associate teacher. Then I was at Hillside um, working with kids in all the surrounding counties, not just Monroe. And so I was in and out of those school districts as well, um, mainly public school districts. So that has been my experience from the outside. Now that I'm on the inside, you know, I'm all up and through the system, figuring out how it's connected, not just locally, but also on the state level. Okay. And for our listeners, and for me as well, who is just learning about 
the boar? What is the primary work of the boar? What what are they here to do for us? Uh, so let me start this off by just saying, um, you know, a lot of it, when you look at the news, it, it's like sensationalized. But Ooh. I can tell you. <laughs> I know that's a good that's word. A <laughs> that's a perfect word. <laughs> but like, um, that's like 1% of the work. 99% of the work is reading meetings every day um almost and just really understanding really understanding and researching like where we are right now where we come from and where we want to go so it's one percent um fun 90 it's one for i say one percent glamour 99 percent research and you, you said you guys meet every day almost there's some there's some sort of meeting almost every day so if you're going to do the job right you can't just go to board meetings you have to be out in the community you have to understand what people are saying in regards to the neighborhoods and the schools that are in those particular neighborhoods so there's almost a meeting every day wow yeah, yeah i really um, oh. <laughs> i know it's tired so you got to tell me because I, I thought i was coming in and it was going to be um, you know, easy peasy like in one of my roles, but you really don't understand what you're taking on until you actually get get on the inside. Do you think if the school district was in a better shape, it would be easier for you? Yes, most definitely, most definitely. And it's funny, you know, because we um, we catch a lot of slack, right? I'm 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 gonna try to I'm gonna try to. I'm going to try to be pleasant in how I describe um, where we're at right now. But we catch a lot of slack in the district. Um, and I don't think people realize, for me, I can speak for myself as an individual, I would like to work less. So I'm actually not trying to keep things going where I have to, you know, put out this fire and put out that fire. I want it to be smooth sailing. I want to be able to kick back like they do in, the, in, in suburban areas. Um, their school board definitely doesn't have to work as hard as we do. So, like, what was the motivation behind this? What motivated you to become the commissioner of schools? Like, to, and then how was that process? So, I guess what motivated me um, was the fact that I learned how to navigate a system for the kids on my caseload, and I really treat them like they're my own. Me too. Um, you know, and I have, I have a very big, um, big faith in Christianity, and I was praying praying about it, seeing what was going to be my next step, because I knew that wasn't where I, where I was going to end at, um, was at Hillside. And so as I was doing that, people were saying, like, well, you're good at doing this, you're good at doing that. Why don't you run, you know, run for office? I was like, absolutely not, you know. And I think I can say it now. I'm like, politics is for the birds. Um, but <laughs> it was something that I felt um, was the next step on my journey. And so here I am. Okay. Yeah. When you say politics is for the birds, yes. what made you feel that way? Man, so I've actually been letting people know I wasn't into politics before I decided to run. Um, and really, I guess for my age group, for our age group and younger, like the way that it's presented to us is not interesting. Or I would appealing. say, yeah, like <laughs> um, it's a lot of, and this is, you know, I don't want to sound like an ages, but there's a lot of older folks in politics that just don't understand how to get the message to us where we would actually be interested in taking on the road. Yeah. Because I know, like you said, politics wasn't wasn't ever appealing to me until I think when we got Barack and then yeah, yeah, that's when a lot of us started paying attention. <laughs> that's when I started paying attention. Other than that, no. Y'all sleeping? Politics is dope. What 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 do you like about it? I, I don't. love politics. What you love about it? I just think it's a lot of lip service. The thing, a lot of what people don't realize about politics is. You got your politicians, yeah. Everybody say they make the decisions when they really don't. 
The people made the decisions. It's just about who you decide to elect to be your representative. Now, you know, you say that, right? And it's easier said than done because you would oh, think it was no, that simple. It, it is, should be, it, though. It, it, that's how, it's it's, supposed, that's, yeah, that's it, how it was designed to be. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, we know us people, we have a lot of land that we got to abide by. Unfortunately, politicians don't. I wouldn't say that we don't gotta abide. We, we know that, like, like you said, like how you. I think you're no just referring no, to no, our president who's saying any oh and God. everything. Trump is a New York State talk who talked his way into the office, but that's another section. <laughs> but uh, people don't realize when it comes to politics, like you said, you have seasoned vets who's been here for so long that at this point. They're used to the old way of things. Just, yeah, they have very th linear th thinking. Yeah, the things just going one way. We don't got to really address it. It's going to fix itself eventually. We've been here for 13, 14, 15, 20 years. We've seen this before. But now that times are changing, the millennials are being way outspoken and yeah. doing what they want and everything, politics are starting to shape and shift into something that a lot of these old season vets aren't used to seeing. Yeah, that's true. And unfortunately, I think what we're trying to do is figure it out. When I say we, I'm like, you know, the older generation and the younger generation. We're trying to figure out how do we mesh what we want to see have happen as it goes against kind of what they want to keep in place because that's what they know. Um, it's unfortunate because you were talking about how we got politicians that's been in there for, you know, 30 plus years um, set in their ways. How do you break that? And I think that is is definitely through voting, but we have been so complacent that we don't. You bring really, it by yeah. getting them out the chair. That's a fact, but you gotta vote. You gotta vote them out. Nah, champ, you gotta go. <laughs> it's, it's your time. Somebody, somebody else on that board to be like, yeah, it's 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 about that time for you to go ahead and uh, hit the bricks. Nah, they're and they're not budging though. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They, you know, what ends up happening is that people get comfortable with the title with the power that they get. You know, people people love that stuff. Mm, yeah. So, what are some of the priorities of our district for this, well, this past school year and coming? Yeah, so we got over one huge hump, um, which was choosing the next superintendent. Um, I'm yeah, really excited I'm about beefing, what we can do. I'm beefing with y'all about that. What, what happened? Say what's on your mind. Say what's on your mind. I was talking, was I talking to you about this, Etiana, <laughs> about the superintendent? You called me Etiana <laughs> on the air, and I thought we was friends. My I, name is Etiana. I told you everything's in question. Etiana. <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> nah, but, uh. Yeah, we were talking we about We had that. a candidate, apparently, from the local area. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie, I don't remember his name. Bob uh, Miller. That's him? I believe I was reading his name. resume and everything and all his work and I was like, yo, this dude is like the guy. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, we outsourced to someone from another state. Terry Dade. So, um, I guess let me say it like this because legally I can't say a lot um, about how we, how we chose him behind the scenes, but what I can say is that I actually post with Dr. Paul Miller um, I think he's a dope cat. I haven't been going back and forth with people on social media about it because um, where I stand is, is not to, to put him down in any way. He's doing dope stuff in education. Um, but when we looked at comparing resumes, not just his, but the other applicants that we got, and we put that up against what the community, look, well, that's the community that gave input along the process. Um, 
we put them up against our profile and we ended up with the candidates that we ended up with as finalists. And it's not to say that he's any less of an educator, but I'm really excited about Terry Day. He's about to be adapted um, within 30 days, I think. Um, yeah. I by, in June, yeah, he'll be a doctor. And he's, he's a dope cat. He was definitely in my top. What makes him in your top? What made him a good candidate? So, um, now we get bashed for a lot of things in the media. Um, but for some reason, we never really, like, touch on what it is that we need right right now to turn this district around. So we got low, 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 low scores. But what does that look like for a leader in the district to have low scores and to get our kids on the right path? I talk a lot of junk about the fact that we got the state taking schools out of receivership status, which means that they get more oversight from the state. Um, they're coming up out of that negative status, and they still only got a handful of kids that are proficient. That's a problem. And so that takes a certain level of skill, and what I can say that Terry brings to the table is he's done it before. Um, he has systems that actually work. And so what I feel like now that we have somebody in there who understands how to get these systems on point, we as the board or we as a community, we can't run him up out of town. Like, we got to really have his back. We got to give him like, yeah, that, we gotta have That's his what back. I was going to ask. Uh, I know you can't say too much about it, but do you feel like there, since he's not from here or he's from a different state or whatnot, he's from Georgia, I believe? Uh, he is from uh, Washington, D.C. Oh, well, he's from here. Yeah. He's it, on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, Virgin, he's from Virginia, D.C. That so, that, uh, do, you, do you think that his... One of his major humps is going to be gaining the trust of others who, like we said, been here for years on end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, my inbox, my, my email, my phone is getting flooded um, with messages, phone calls, you know, people just talking about how they're frustrated from getting somebody from the outside. But what I tell them is that I hear them, I understand, and yes, it would have been ideal to get somebody local, but at the end of the day, we got to choose the best person for the job. And choosing somebody local versus outside of the state, that's about adult-like issues. That's not about what we could do for the students. So once us adults, um, including myself, can get over this and work together around it, I think, I really think within the next couple of years, we're going to see some major, major improvements. I guess I was a little sad that there wasn't any feminine energy on the last four candidates. I was like, not one woman. Why you didn't run for superintendent? Oh, child, you got to go through all types of schooling and get all these letters behind your name. <laughs> Yo, but, um, yeah, you know, I can't say too much about um, about who else we have because we actually, we dwindled it down, the, um, the search firm dwindled it down to six people. I actually advocated for somebody else to pull them up until we ended, ended up interviewing seven people. Within that seven, um, I can say it wasn't all male. So I guess that's me saying that there there was uh, some feminine energy in yeah, here, but okay. yeah, I can't say who it was. So are y'all vote strict for the superintendent strictly on your board? Like the commissioners, are y'all the only ones who vote on that type of thing? Yeah. I, I know that there was um some community like outreach forums and I wasn't able to go to those, but what did that look like? Yeah, so we have forums where people will be able to come in. Um, they had questions that were asked through the moderator um, of the particular forum, and the candidates, you know, answered those questions. 
that was the input that we got from the community before then we also got input from the community in regards to what it is that they actually want to see in the next superintendent and then by state law yes the board has the final decision which we voted on um on tuesday so how did you get that input from the community though was it through surveys was it focus groups yeah well it was a number of things both of those things so we did have um controlled focus groups so we had specifics for community members, staff members, business world, students, teachers, parents. Um, we also did surveys. We had the survey up for a, a period of time, and then we actually extended it to get more feedback and input. I know that there was um, a newspaper that also reached out to students, and they did a whole article um, on student input into the superintendent process. So, yeah, we, 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 we opened up the doors. Um, in our last forums, not many people came. But at the end of the day, I actually wasn't discouraged. I would like for people to get enthused about who the next leader is. But at the end of the day, you know, we are voted in by the community. And so we are supposed to represent community voice. You know, where we where we get in trouble, though, is that not everybody in the community is saying the same thing. So then it's like, who, who are you advocating for? And, and what's going to be your final decision? That's what we've seen here. We've seen people divided on this. So we got people in our community that say, well, we voted you in. You need to pick the best person. We got other people that are saying, well, I want more of input on it. I want to have more of a, a make me feel like I'm, I'm making more of a decision. How do y'all balance that? Man, it's a tough. I be talking so much junk um, <laughs> when I am not in the spotlight because, because it's, it's difficult. It's like, you know, you're trying to drive a car and people drag, uh, grabbing at the wheel. It's, it's, it's a difficult spot to be in. You can't make everybody happy all the time. And that's tough because I want to see everybody smiling. I don't want to make nobody mad, but... Um, at the end of the day, when you think about the final decision, is what's going to be best for these kids. And I know that sounds cliche, but we also are in a financial crisis, too. And so we can't just be putting anybody in that seat. Yeah. I'm talking about major financial crisis. So, okay, well, let's, we, I guess we'll talk about it <laughs> okay. in a minute. Um, you are tuned into 100.9 WXIR, Extreme Independent Radio, the 585 Report with Atiana and Bishop. We have Miss Natalie in the building, and we are talking about the climate of the school district. We're talking about the board. We're talking about the next superintendent. We're just talking about the educational experience in our town as a whole. So, going back to the board, like you said, there's okay. a lot going on. And I'm not going to even talk about the situation because it's just, it is what it is. Like, people get mad, people get upset and say things, and I understand that. So I could understand where people come from with that. But what do you think are some attributes of um, good, successful school board members? Like, what do they need to be in order to come together and for the best interest of our children. So some of the positive attributes I would say plainly is keeping their feet on the ground, ears to the streets. Because a lot of times when you're dealing with someone else's kids, you have to understand the environment that they're coming from. And I don't think people really realize how real that is once we have a kid in the classroom and we don't know um, what, what it is that they're coming from. We don't know how to um, interact with them in the schools. That's one of our major, major attributes as, a, as an elected official because then we are supposed to be that bridge. We're supposed to be advocating for things like restorative justice or more money for different programs that our kids may need or even going to different municipal bodies like the county ledge, 
um, our state legislators and asking them, you know, for assistance on how we can make this all come together. And do you feel that the board is accessible to the community? I do think that some of our board members are accessible to the community. Okay. <laughs> some of our board members. I'm trying to keep it positive here. Still, though, some in what ways? Um, so all of us can be reached by email. Um, you know, I know that I've seen a, you know different complaints or different feedback on how some how some don't respond back. Um, I'm always accessible through anyway. People yes, text me, you call are. me on you social media. You help me with assignments, <laughs> so you definitely yeah. are accessible. And you know, it's interesting. People know they can talk junk, so they don't even be like coming to me like, "Oh, I have an idea," but they just be telling me about myself all the time. What? Um, yes, <laughs> all the time, all the time. Wait, um, they have the audacity like when you're trying. Like a lot of people don't even care. <laughs> you're making an effort. You're trying. You have a seat at the table, but they have something negative. Say. Instead of if they had something negative to say, instead of working with you to implement ideas yeah, and get yeah. feedback, like you know what's interesting about that. So when I said I talk a lot of junk, uh, when the camera ain't rolling, <laughs> that's that's real. Like I break down a lot, but it's only because you know I had to start to realize it's not about me as an individual. Like when I came on, I took on so many broken relationships that people previously to me had created. And so people are coming with that frustration at me. And I think I don't think there's one person out there that can say that. And I'll, I'll say it in nice words that told me about myself, that told me off, that um, they wouldn't say that I took the time to still listen. I still I still talk back to them and I still tried to make it right as best as I could. Or we've moved on from that. A lot of them, you will see on my social media, I call them sis now. And, you know, it's interesting. I should do, like, a documentary. Like, you like really, at, like, at me. Like, at me. Like, I have my people's, like, do you see this? I need you to go talk to this person. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's a tough balance. I'm not a perfect leader, so I understand. And we're talking about people's kids, right? And we're talking about decades of this district just not performing at the level that it should be performing and so I know that makes emotions run high so I really don't blame people I actually um started to think about it would be a problem if people weren't right. upset you know what I'm saying so I try to see the positive in it all even though it's coming at me and I'm like I ain't do nothing <laughs> really right. but yeah but I understand so I think about how broken the district is and I think about if I was a parent my daughter, she went to um, number 10 school for a um, good amount of time, I think from third grade to sixth grade. And then we moved out of um, the city. And if I was a parent and I felt that my child wasn't getting the support that she needed, like I would go to every extreme. Like if you went to a business and they weren't doing what they're supposed to, you could sue them. Like, why isn't that level of, why isn't that there? Like, if a district isn't meeting the needs of our students, like, I just don't understand. Girl, you got me up here smiling right now because I'm like, you feeding my soul. So, I can only say so much as an elected official, right? Like, I can't be telling people to go out there and sue us. No, and like that's, that. I'm just, that's what no, I felt to my no, mind. No, I like, feel you. I, let me tell you why I feel mm -hmm. you, though. Because there is a school district in, um, I believe it was in Detroit. 
that ended up suing the state for this same exact reason. And, you know, the activist in me is like, yes, rise up. You know, do what you got to do for your kids. Because right. at the end of the day, if the adults in the system are battling over resources, the kids are the ones getting left behind. Your kids that are coming back to your community, mm -hmm. right? So, like, I smile because I feel like that's a dope way for a community to understand, like, yo, we putting you on watch and we not playing. Like, we not just talking. Like, we going to take it to the ends of the earth if we have to, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, what we have happening, I think, in Rochester is so many different groups are, like, moving in their own lanes, like, towards the same thing, that the messaging and stuff is not as strong as it could be if everybody came together and really rose up against the system. I'm not talking about against people, but against the system. Like, it just, it just has to be unacceptable. And at what point are we going to be, I would say, G-checking people. That, that's how you G-check somebody, by suing them, letting them know, like, we're not going to do this no more. Right. <laughs> because... I feel you. I, I'm there with you. Because I always, I didn't want to be that person. Like you said, like you got a lot of flack for your um, kids not going to school in a district. And I didn't want to be that person to move my kids out of this district. This is the district where I came from. I Edison Tech graduate, 2003. Dang, um, dang. But yeah, so I, I'm a product of this district. So I didn't want to be that person. Yeah. But... Like, when they got to, like, sixth grade and some of the stories she was telling me... Actually, she did go to YWCP, but that was charter school. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to um, Webster. So then she went to a Lincoln. Now she's in Schrader. And um, just the difference, like, the night and day difference that sh her experience is. And my son, he's been in urban-suburban since, what, first, second grade. So he, all he knows is suburban districts. So, I mean, that was um, my concern. Yeah, and, and let me just say a couple things around that. Like, so first of all, for me in the position that I am, I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter if a parent is involved or not. Like, when they sign their kids up, or what level they're involved, when they sign their kids up in the beginning of the school year, the school district has, like, a responsibility. And... You can't tell me no parent on this earth will want their kids to be failing. Like, if they had an option between being successful or being a failure, they're going to choose successfully. Like, that's just where, where I'm at with it. And even though my daughter her, is not in our school district, that doesn't um, that doesn't interrupt the way that I advocate at all. Like, no, if I didn't say that, a lot of people don't even know. They just assume that she goes there because the way that I advocate is the fact that these are my daughter's friends. Like, we all live in the same neighborhood. Like, y'all not just about to keep doing our kids that way, you know? Right. So I really feel a connection to every kid, no matter what school they go to. But specifically in the school district, now that I'm in this role, I advocate for, for the kids. Like, I would want somebody to advocate for my daughter, you know, if I'm not around or if I'm not able to do the deep level dive into the system like how I do in my, in my position. So I, I feel you on that. So I, so I got a question. So... How she said is the difference in the experiences night and day. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what school you go to is New York State, you have the same curriculum. Mm. Do you feel, I mean, 2 plus 2 is 4 no matter what curriculum you take. It's just the way it's implemented. And, 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 that's, and that's my question. Do you, because I, I went to Marshall. I graduated Marshall. We had sensational teachers there who actually cared about the students. This is going to sound bad, but it's a question a lot of people don't ask. Do you feel, or either one of you feel, because I know you can't say a lot of stuff, that 
some of the newer teachers now don't have that same connection with students that some of the older teachers that our generation grew up with had. Like our our generation of teachers, I mean, they I, was they they was darn near your parents, right? True they, story. Like, they, like they will put you in your place in a heartbeat and, <laughs> and, and, and dare your mother or father to come up there and challenge them. No, your mother or father was behind <laughs> them. Like your mother you know? or father wasn't challenging so, what they were saying. Like some of the parents that we interact with now, um, I think as far as the older teachers. Um, my teachers, mostly, most of them, they're aged out. Like, it's some of them that are still around, maybe that were younger, um, when I was going to school. However, I feel like the younger teachers make the connections because they're closer in age to the kids. They can relate more to the kids. It's the older teachers that are tenured that know that, you know, regardless of what happens, I still will have my position. Those are the teachers that... We need to do some deep professional development, and you know, those I think are teachers, teachers we need to work with. Professional development after every school year. Oh, well, they yeah. have to. Yeah, they get yeah they get it throughout the year too. But back to your point, Bishop, um, I would I would say that we're kind of in a tough position right now. So. It's a different type of child than even when you and oh, I, child. you know, when all of us grew up, right? It's a different Listen. type of child, right? I ain't going to say whether it's good or bad, but it's a different type of child. Yes. Um, and with that, you know, and I really want to want to break some of the, I want to say myths because people, you know, they've had their experience with teachers. I don't think that age is the deciding factor on whether a teacher is going to be good or not. So I've, I've seen teachers and, and heard of stories where older teachers are able to adapt because they understand as times change, they have to change in order to make sure that the kids are learning right. But then you got younger teachers that come in and they are so textbook, right? They haven't been seasoned. They ain't been around kids because, um, you know, they're like in their early 20s coming into, coming into one of our classrooms in our district with our different type of children, right? And they don't know what to do. They don't know how to manage their classroom. So I think it goes um, both ends that are an effective teacher, regardless on what age you are. Although, you know, it's nice to have younger, fresher um, teachers that look like our students. Facts. That's a fact. <laughs> um, and understand our students right. um, above all else. Yeah, that 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 is a, that's an important important aspect. And again, I will drive this home. You're gonna see me talking more and more about how the state gets involved with this. You brought up the fact of teachers being tenured and being comfortable in their positions because they know it's not you. You gonna have to jump through five million hoops to get them up out of their job. That's a problem, and that's a problem at the state level in regards to the laws that they put in place for tenure. Um, I talk a lot about the teacher contracts, and you know they they at me about talking about contracts. I'm not anti union. Those at teachers got like the best contracts, yeah, the best I'm union. Not, I'm, yeah, I'm not anti union. Unions are important. But at the end of the day, if what we are giving to you through a contract is harming our kids, that's a problem. Like, I don't understand why it's a problem. problem. Like, it's nothing personal. It's just a problem. And so I brought up before we took a little break that we are in a financial crisis. Um, and deep diving into the budget, you'll understand that we're cutting back programming for students because we have to afford teacher raises in a district that has the lowest perform performance outcomes for students. That's that's a that's insanity to me. Right? That, that's craziness. But then you want to come at folks for saying, oh, you know, come at people for saying like, oh, it's the contracts. And even you know, I even catch slack like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I can read. I, I know for a fact 
that we are cutting here and we are giving there and, and not to say that teachers aren't trying to do the best that they can. So I always I always try to drive my message with that. I know they're doing the best that they can, but I'll be questioning why aren't teachers rising up with us? Like you should be frustrated that you are sick. I use an analogy. You're a sixth grade teacher and you get in a class full of students that's reading at a second grade level. So you can't even doesn't... teach at the level that we hired you. You should be mad. You should be upset. And that's not only right. that, like I think about teachers because I did a set of substitute teacher for two years and it was like what made me realize that I didn't want to go into teaching. <laughs> oh, no, nah, don't be <laughs> No, I didn't. But I still wanted to work for the district, but I did not want to go into teaching. Yeah. But, um, so these teachers, some of them, they work on these lesson plans, and they work and they work, and then they're like, shot down the drain when you have students who are disruptive and so it can get real discouraging when you go through all this to make a lesson plan and then you know you can't even yeah absolutely you know what's interesting about that point that you make is when I say different type of child you know I I feel like when we're growing up and I'm using from my experience if people have different experiences I understand but growing up you would have like one or two that could be labeled as a disruptive child, right? Yes. But now, if you're seeing a whole class of, like, kids that you have to, you know, or that you're labeling them as disruptive, then you got to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. How am I going to engage them where they are sitting down? Or if they got to get up and get that energy out, how do I make that work for my lesson plan? That's what I'm talking about when you adapt into the type of child that are in our schools now. And it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just different. Totally different. Yeah, I, I believe. I think that puts a strain on the teacher at some point. It does. So what, the average class got what between twenty six to thirty five no, students. That's so much. Yeah. So um, I think it's up to twenty five. Well, even even still, if it's twenty five students with twenty five personalities, it's hard <laughs> to adapt, and that's only one class. Yeah. I don't know if they're still doing eight periods or we had the four blocks in March, so you only have four classes a day. So yeah. it's like. So it differs from school to school, and it differs from when you your old self was back in school. Yeah, so that's a, but we are actually coming from having like you know 13, 12 kids in the class, and we are what they call truing up. And so going into the next year and future years, what's going to end up happening is our, we we are going to get up um, to you know that twenty four kids in the class when you'll start to see more classes um, at that that capacity and it is it's difficult especially for teachers who have been doing it for a long time they're used to a certain way used to a certain amount of students now they have to adjust and adapt and that's just where we're at hmm. what is your vision for education in our community oh um you know i guess i'll start my my next comments off by saying that poverty is always brought up as as a reason as to why our kids aren't learning. And I just have to put out there that poverty is just a condition um, that the family has in the community. And so if we are going to get serious about education, we got to understand, we got to connect, which is why I said earlier, you got to have leaders specifically on the school board and at the state level that are in the communities that understand what to advocate for. So if we're talking about how schools should look, what the day should look like, if we know that we're in a high impoverished area, what does that look like for kids? We know that they don't have transportation. They don't have back and forth to activities that keep them engaged. We know that they don't have money for registration fees, so we should be advocating for that. We know that they may 
nine times out of ten come to school hungry. So how should the school day look where we're not making kids feel like they're isolated um, because they need a they need an extra meal? Um, you know, you you see those you you see stories on social media all the time about different school districts. You'll have like a principal getting glorified. Um, one just the other other week, I saw a principal put a washer and dryer in his school for kids to come in and use that at free will on you know Friday evenings. And so that's what I see education. I see it being more than just academics. You really have to include all the areas that a kid may have a gap in, and that's. That's just where we're at in this century is that schools are not just schools for going to class anymore. Like, we got that's, a lot more responsibility. That's what I was going to ask you because I know we had a lot of life life experience classes when I was mm-hmm. in school. Like, teachers would go way off subject and they would start talking to you about real life. And do you think that is something, like, I know you just said that's the vision that you want, but... Do you think that is the one of the major factors that we're lacking that why the students and teachers can't coexist because the students come to school trouble with so much stuff on the outside so world that they can't focus on what's going on in front of them in the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. And so what does that look like? Like we got a couple of community schools within our district. That looks like um, being a hub for those families like um, health care, mental health, all in one place, right? So you don't have to go to all these different areas. But just in regards to our kids coming to school with so much, I hate the fact that um, they have to come there. And I feel like kids should only have to worry about being kids. And then that means that the adults have to step up. Then we just have to step up in a way um, that is, I would say, non-traditional, unconventional. So I'm not coming to school as a teacher saying, oh, all I'm going to do is teach in this class. I'm going to be connected to the fact that if I see, because I know you, you're, you're in my class every day. If I know that you have these troubles going on, I should be able to get you in contact or your family in contact with somebody that can help you. Even if I'm not the, the specific person that can do it, I should have resources for you so that when you do get to me, then we can handle the business that you're here to handle. Yeah, so one of my schools, um, Douglas, that's on my case low, is now a community school. And so they have things like, I think they're in the process of getting a washer and dryer if they already have not got one. They have like a care closet where students, um, people bring clothes and students can get clothes. Um, they have, we have mental health staff, we have the um, health center. So it's like so many resources, but... I've heard the saying that Rochester is resource rich, but results poor. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Why you not get me started? I thought we was keeping it positive today. <laughs> no, I um um I guess what I would say with that is I I, I absolutely agree with that statement. Um, we do have a lot of resources here in in Rochester in general. In the city school district, um, if you all don't know, we have a close to a billion dollar budget when it's all said and done per year um, and still have the results that we have. And so when you think about resources, now it's like, well, where are they going? So a lot of times resources come in and they hit the staff, they hit adults, but then they don't get to the actual constituents and students and parents and families that, that need them. By the time the money gets down there, it's a, it's a little bit of money left. Then you see people are fighting over programming, different non-for-profit organizations fighting over the same pool of money. 
it's a it's a difficult I would say it's like we're in a lion's den like people just trying to survive as best that they can right so yeah I absolutely agree with that so when you say because I'm not I got the logistical background so I love talking money and numbers Mm -hmm. and stuff so like how you just said like by we have money allocated for certain stuff but by the time it gets down to what it's actually for Mm -hmm. we're like fighting over bread breadcrumbs mm-hmm. how do we get programs and funny to where somebody up top says this goes to that and that only that's the mindset of people understanding that local politics is also connected to state level politics so if you have state officials that we put into place by voting they are supposed to ensure that the money is being allocated in a certain way. And once it gets to the at the local level, if it's not getting allocated the way that we need it to, your state officials should be laying laying their hammer down like, oh, no, we're not about to do this no more. Or I'm going to make sure that it's going here. Or I'm going to switch up the way that I'm giving money to the city because I need it to get to the actual people. And so one example I can give is... For me, I think mentorship programs are excellent. Um, they're Same. valuable. However, I feel like we get so many mentorship programs that are missing the piece of what can you offer a child versus what the streets offer our kids. So if I'm trying to pull a kid in a positive direction, I got to put some money in their pocket because I know the streets is going to put some money in their pocket. Like that's the kind of thinking that I want to see our state level officials do. I want to see local level officials advocate for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one one example of many is how, how is the money coming? Like our kids want to, they want to play different, you know, play different sports. They want to play instruments. Um, why aren't we literally paying for kids to go to programming and make sure the programming is, are, are, is surviving? It's- right. Because a lot of times students won't come to my programming because they have to work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they need to be paid. But um, so I was talking to um, Shari, yeah. um, Shari Evans. Evans. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about parent engagement. And she brought up such a good point. She said... There should be a program that paid parents to basically to talk about what teachers need for them, like to train them to be parents. It's for lack of better word, mm-hmm. um, wording. And we paid them, so if they had to miss work, then it'll be worth their while. Um, and I just thought that was such a good idea because I know in my program, parent engagement is very low and same with I do like a parent teacher conference night we barely get any parents and I know there's so many reasons why that happens um so what are some thoughts about parent engagement yeah so first of all I love Shari um we just we just appointed her as into a principalship role she's doing dope over there already um and I think she hit it right on the, uh, the nail on the head with that particular example um I think about, you know, our our parent-teacher conferences. Now, you have one side of people saying, well, you shouldn't have to force a parent to be a parent. But on the other hand, parents are really going through some stuff, really trying to provide for for multiple kids, not just one. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes they're intimidated by coming to the schools. But But that point about paying them, that is something that we would say because right when I say feet on the ground, ears to the streets, that we like, oh, that's common sense. Mm-hmm. I would, I would pay you to miss two hours of work to come over to the school for a parent teacher conference, right? I would, I would definitely do that. 
but we don't have people that are elected that think that kind of way. Like, that is right. what would be considered a progressive idea, mm-hmm. um, a far-left idea, right? That's terrible um, that you got to put it like you that. You know, that's, like, that's, 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 that's really what bad. it is. That, you know, that's, that's what it is. Terrible. And that's why I be trying to tell people, like, yes, locally we got to get out the vote. We got to get energized to vote to understand what that means. But also at the state level for just implementing the example that you just said. Common sense stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, I know that recently it was um, announced that we were continuing the U of R and East partnership. Yeah. What are some indicators that have proven that that has been successful? So, some of the indicators are, um, first of all, their graduation rate um, alone. Just it, when the East EPO took over, I believe it was like in 30s or something. Um, but now it is in the high 50s. Okay. Um, so not where we need to be by far. I well, always say it's, it's a difficult position to be in when you're talking about turning around a school. Because on one hand, you want to congratulate and hand clap the fact that they moving in the right direction. But on the other hand, you don't want people to get comfortable. Like, oh, you get a couple hand claps. You think now you could take your foot off the pedal. Nah, you still got to go full steam ahead. And so um, that's one area. Another area is um, the cohort that they were following in regards to where kids were at proficient. Um, in their testing for sixth grade, um, they've gone up into eighth grade, ninth grade now, and they've been following their test scores, and they've improved by over 60% for those kids getting wow. on where they need to be. Um, so those are some of the indicators. Also, parent involvement um, has increased. I don't know the percentages off the top of my head for that, but that has increased. And now they're partnering um, as like a community school type of type, uh, community school hub um, with a partnership with 33 School, which is an elementary school. So. So, oh, so those kids will be feeding into... Yeah. Oh, so that's so dope. So what, so what do we do to get Duplicate the that. rest of the colleges to get on board? Because Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Rochester got some wealthy colleges. RIT. Yeah. St. John Fisher. <laughs> like, for some... Every college in Rochester is extremely wealthy. Extremely wealthy. What do we got to do to get them to say, hey, U of R and East is moving in this direction. You might want to jump on board. Or do we want to do that? So that is what it should look like, right? So from the state, they call what's the ESSA plan, Every Student Succeeds Act. Um, and in that, it talks about the fact that um, our schools or our district should be partnering with local colleges and universities, right? Um, and we've shown that that is working with, with U of R. Um, and I know that people have some reservations about the cost of it, but if that's yeah. how much it costs, that's how, how much, much it costs. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't actually <laughs> want to go back and forth. But um, do we need a superintendent at each school? Now, why is y'all get me? <laughs> she want to take me there? Like, yo, I know. I'm sorry, because I'm so into this now, and that just. We have the conversations nobody wants to have. <laughs> yeah, set me up. No, but what I will say is, is no, we don't need a superintendent at every school. But what I will argue, though, is paying attention to what our laws and regulations require. So when a school goes into a, a negative standing and to what's called receivership um, or focus status, they appoint like independent moderators. They appoint somebody that we have to pay anyways, and that's kind of what the superintendent at East is doing. You know, is doing what the state would would bring in anyways. Gotcha. So I would say, and I would say to that too, because I've actually I, I've 
I don't want to say I fought back because I know that sometimes state commissioner be listening, but um, I've given I've given feedback on um, even that happening with our rise up school. I'm saying like, why do we gotta pay this person to come in, you know, and do stuff that we have chiefs of schools for? And so when we start talking about allocation of money, that's what I'm talking about. Like we just putting in positions just to put them in, and then on the other hand, we cutting back arts and all type all type of stuff. Yeah, the like, money could be used for yeah. other things. So we got this guy here, but we about to pay somebody else to come. Right. Yeah, so. God, is that what you said? No, 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 no. I didn't say that, Bishop. Why you put that? Rewind and take back. Rewind and take back. It sounds like, sound like we got personnel and positions to do this job. We do. But for some reason. Yeah. Superintendent is important, though. But, but um, to Atiana's point, multiple superintendents or one superintendent for one school, um, no. No, we, we, we could definitely move away from that. But. Dr. Sean Nelms is doing a phenomenal job yeah, over there. I, I hear know, nothing I but good things. I mean, to to know to know Sean Nelms like he goes above and beyond. So people could criticize, you know, him getting paid the amount that he gets, but I can vouch for the yeah, fact that this man he he be working too for every penny. Well, that's I good. mean, he he's out here. He's out here bringing in resources for the school. He's making sure that every aspect of that school is up to par, and so he's earned every penny. He's not somebody that you know just sitting on his hands. Well, that's good. You are tuned into the five eight five report with yeah with Atiana and Bishop on one hundred point nine WXIR Extreme Independent Radio. And we are starting our series on education in the Rochester community. And we have Natalie, the commissioner of schools, in the building. And I have a question. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about mayoral control? Ooh, child. We almost over here. Because we've been talking for a long time. Um, Yeah, eight more more minutes. (laughs) Um... So my thoughts on mayoral control is, I guess I'll, I'll simply put it like this. It doesn't matter who has control over the school districts, particularly the Rochester City School District, if the powers at B are not going to do what we need to have them do to change. I talk a lot, a lot, a lot about state laws and the union contracts with the collective bargaining uh, units. And I talk about that because that is a state-level issue, and that is one of the core issues that keeps ineffective staff, I'm not just going to say teachers, ineffective staff throughout the district, no matter what level they're at, keeps them, in their, keeps them in place by law because they have to go through some long, old process. But if a person is, I was, I'm not going to say committing a crime against students, but if a person is not there for the best interest of our students, we should be able to show them the door right off the bat, right? Because every moment is precious in education. <laughs> like, I just... It frustrates me um, that we can have a debate over mayoral control, but nobody is talking about the fact that we need laws and system changes that they have the power to do without mayoral control. And so that conversation kind of sends me over the edge, but I've been a little bit quiet on that lately. <laughs> That's why we asked me, I'm like, oh, is we almost over? <laughs> because, um, why, is, yeah. why is that something as far as... When did this uh, collective bargaining agreement take place? Um, So we're in negotiations now, so I can't really talk about specifics on that. But the collective bargaining unit agreements, they're um, constantly in place. So we have in New York State um, what's called the Taylor Law. And the Taylor Law, um, some of the history on that is that it was created 
um, so that our teachers don't go on strike here in the state. Because in other states, you'll see teachers going on strike. So, you know, in order to negotiate and bargain, they made the tail on. What that means is whatever a board, a past board, and a collective bargaining unit has agreed to in the past, that it will stand even if, like, say we're negotiating and we want something to come out and we can't come to agreement with the, with the unions, whatever was in the past is going to stand. And so that's a problem because what's, what's been put in the past, we need to tweak it a little bit. I'm not saying that we should just do away with unions, we should do away with contracts. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is at this moment in time, it just boggles my mind that we would have an argument in the community over mayoral control because of our outcomes. I know people are outraged, but we're not really talking about checking our state officials in regards to the laws or really giving us an opportunity to make changes within our district that we need to make. So that's that's what I think about mayoral control, is that it wouldn't matter who is in control if the power that we need them to, to put out there is not going to be used. One thing with that is I hear people saying that um, and I just think, like, if there's such, I mean, if there's ideas, why not share them? Why does there need to be a control? But that's just my thoughts. Yeah, and I think, so, you know, mayoral control is also a, a sticky situation because you might have an adult mayor who understands education, understands the, the community needs to be involved at every step. Then you get another mayor that is more business-minded, that's more, you know, self-centered. Then where does that leave us, right? So I always, I, you'll never see me um, attacking our mayor in any way when she comes against the district or anybody in that manner when they come against, come against the district because they want us to change. That's what they should be doing. Right. I always, you yeah, should be doing that. You should be checking us every, every step of the way. What I will say, though, is that there are things that we should be advocating for other than, you know, fighting, fighting adults. Like, we really have to get serious about fighting this system. Like, the system is crazy. And people say, you know, it's broken. And it's broken only if you're the, the person or the people um, that is not benefiting. I mean, it's many, many people benefiting from our broken school district. We got a billion dollars, close to a billion dollar budget. We got to get them out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm running for mayor. Yo. I'm, <laughs> I'm announcing it here. Okay. I heard, I heard, <laughs> I heard it here first. I heard it here on <laughs> WXIR 100.9 FM first. Next, it'll vote me in. Okay. Trump could be president. <laughs> pretty, sure I can pretty sure I can run <laughs> Rochester. All right. So you say there's this million dollar billion close billion close to a billion dollar budget. However, um, enrollment in our district is declining. Mm -hmm. um, what are we doing to address declining enrollment? So that's an excellent question, and, and, and we have to really focus on how are we keeping um, our kids here in the district, um, and that has a lot to do with programming and what, we're, what we can offer our kids, not just academically, but also um, extracurricular activities. I'm huge on that. I ran on that. Um, that's been my focus. One of my main focuses on the board is making sure we're enhancing that area to make it more appealing for kids and families that want to stay. Um, also, you know, creating a relationship with media, man, media plays a huge role on how people view our district. And I'm not saying that, um, that we don't have a long ways to go because we do. We have a long ways to go and we need to get there quickly. But just with that, programming um, and extracurricular activities, we, we have to get better at public relations and letting people know what we do offer. 
Okay, so we got two minutes left. What advice do you have for anyone who's interested in getting involved? Oh, I would say um, do your homework <laughs> and also find somebody who you um, can trust or you might look up to as like a mentor that's already in this work. Because there's so many things that you would want to do in the position, right? So I'll use myself for an example. I, I was coming in because I wanted to be a school board commissioner. I had to learn what being a school board commissioner actually meant. Above that, politics is totally separate. So what I was doing during the campaign season and, and being quote-unquote political has absolutely nothing to do with, with the actual role that I'm in right now as a school board commissioner. So you have two worlds that you're juggling. You're juggling politics and then you're also juggling the role. And so my advice is to do your homework and to also find someone that you trust that can help show you the landscape of this political field. Because as y'all know, in Rochester... Politics is very, very cutthroat. Y'all only get a glimpse. I, I just want you to know what, what y'all see on the surface is just a glimpse of the things that happen behind the scenes. And where can people find you? So I am on social media, on Facebook, um, on Commissioner Natalie Shepard is my political page. Um, you could inbox me there. You could also email me at my district email, which is Natalie period shepherd at rcsdk12.org um, or you can call uh, let me get my um, district number up here because I don't know it off the top of my head but you could also reach me at 585-857-6878 and that's a number that you can call and you can also text it um, so any way um, that you get in contact with your friends, I'm probably on a social media network. Feel free to inbox me. I will get back to you or email or call or text. Okay. So thank you for tuning in to the 585 Report with Atiana and Bishop. Bishop, you was like semi on time today. First off. He was very late, y'all. <laughs> first off. being nice. I was here for the first word of the show, so technically I was on time. That's all that matters. We love you. All right, thank you for tuning in to the 585 Report. We will see you next Sunday at 6 p.m. 100.9 WXIR.